On Wednesday this week, I was um, picking up Joshua, my son, uh, our son, from um, his work. He works on Lower Bristol Road. And I tipped up in my little yellow car. I was in the park, car park. And it was about 10.30, 11 o'clock at night. Joshua bounded out of M&S. Sorry, you can work in other places other than M&S. Anyway, wandered out, which is where he worked. Came up to the car. Got in the car. Got my keys out. Turned the car. Nothing. Just a few flashing lights, a kind of few sense of there was some life, but not a life. Then I did what most, sorry, I'm going to be a bit sexist this morning, uh, what most men would do, which is try a bit harder, you know, just be a bit more violent with something, and then maybe it'll come to life. And so I kind of twizzled it, twizzled it, even less and less life until things started to flicker in a way that I'd never known before, and I thought something is very broken. After I'd done this for about a couple of minutes, uh, Joshua, who was sat next to me, um, looked to me and he said, Dad, the battery's dead. I said, sorry? I said, the battery's dead. How do you know that? Well, I've just Googled it, he said. He said, I've just Googled when that kind of thing happens. He says, the battery's dead. I said, all right, okay. He said, have you ever prayed for a car to come back to life, he said to me. (laughs) And so I said, well, actually, yes, I have. when I was a student and we were out on mission in Europe, they, we used to go out with the kind of place I was with, with vans that always used to break down. So I know some people don't like praying for inanimate objects, but I'm okay with that, by the way. Um, anyway, so, and he said, well, oh, it came to life. So do you think we ought to pray for this? I said, okay, over to you, son. Pray your best prayer, and let's see how it goes. I was quietly praying internally, and... Um, and uh, didn't verbally, he was just praying silently, he didn't fancy praying out loud. I said, okay, let's try it again. What do you think happened? Some of you have faith, no more life than before. There was no more life before, fiddled around for a bit, prayed for a bit more, nothing happened. He said, do you know what we're going to have to do? Going to have to call your mother. <laughs> he was in bed, asleep. Uh, that was a big call for Joshua and I, that's all I'll say. Uh, to do that, and actually the A man who said he wouldn't come out unless you were stuck in the middle of nowhere. So um, I'm going to pray this morning, and let's hope we have a bit more, uh, a bit more, um, few more results this morning than we had on Wednesday night in praying. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you are the God of the impossible, that the life that exists within you, the life that exists within the beauty of your creation, shows us something of your extraordinary nature of your heart your life, your abundance, your goodness. Father, thank you that you are merciful, you're compassionate, that you are the God who's able to bring life out of death. And this morning I pray where we may be sat here this morning just trying to manage a whole series of situations that seem beyond us. We invite you afresh to come into those places of weariness, of confusion, of hopelessness, and breathe your life. Father, would you help us this Christmas to lift our eyes beyond ourselves, beyond our concerns, beyond our frailties, into your majesty, to your power, your splendor, 
your goodness. Father, would you clear away the, almost the fog, the mist of so many things in this world that stop us seeing your wonder and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So since I've uh, been here, I've had a number of conversations with people who, people who, who essentially have said, Tim, I'm okay with this idea of God existing. I can make sense of sort of creation and there being a God who's behind creation. I can get a sense of, of Jesus and theology. I can do that big thing. But this idea of God wanting to be in relationship with us, that God wants to be close and God wants to be personal, it's, it's a bit difficult. It's a bit difficult for me. And actually for me, amongst the many things that exist within Scripture, there are all sorts of people who've written on Scripture who sometimes help us to try and see a bit more clearly where we're struggling to see clearly. The Puritan writer A.W. Tozer wrote this. He said, The gravest question before the church is always God himself. Always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any person is not what he at any time may say or may do, but what he or she in their hearts conceives God to be like. I wonder whether you believe that this morning. About what you think or believe or know or about God to be actually the most important thing for you. So when we're thinking about this, this morning we're going to think a little bit about the topic of baptism. Whether it's water or whether it's the Holy Spirit or it's fire, when we think about baptism, what is the picture we have in our mind of God? Do we have a picture in our mind of a God who is abundant, who is good, who longs to, over, to fill us with his sense of overflowing life? Or don't you fill it? Or is it? If I'm allowed to say this, this is a churchmanship question. But our picture is a little bit like the traditional Anglican vision of baptism, where it's a few drops on our head. Do you know, in a sense, that kind of picture sometimes is helpful to say, what, what do we picture God as? Tiny, small, maybe just enough of God to, to do something in my life? Or abundant and generous? What do we think? In the last 40 or 50 years, so much has been written, on the, particularly on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, kind of particularly with the kind of growth of the Pentecostal movement, as uh, actually Pentecostal writers have been persuaded to actually write something down rather than just have a good time experiencing the Holy Spirit. They actually got round to actually trying to be systematic and to be coherent and to be biblical about some of the things that they have been part of. So there's been sort of, a, in a sense, an explosion of writing around the personal work of the Holy Spirit, partly because people have got around to trying to pull everything together. And so from the late, uh, that's in the last 40, 50 years, but from the late 1700s probably, I'm going to say there was a growing attention amongst Christians to parts of the Bible that actually before maybe had been neglected whether people meditated last week, we thought about John 3, 
But actually from the 1700s, it's particularly people started to meditate on the book of Acts and saying, well, what was that? What is that? What does that mean for us? What does it mean to be born again and for, to be filled with the Spirit? Bear in mind, the Pentecostal wing of the church is enormous, actually, in the sense of global kind of Christianity. If there are, I don't know, two and a half billion Christians around the world, in, are in the world at the minute, at least over half, half 500 million, depending on how you do billions, uh, are Pentecostals. And actually, here's just a few things over the last 40 or 50 years that actually have been written just to give you a little bit of a flavor. And some of these may appeal to you, some of them may not appeal to you. But when you read the writings of people who've written, who are trying to make sense of the Bible and all the different kind of references for the Holy Spirit in the Bible and the different passages, what you find is writers who are kind of keen to try and capture different parts of the life and the work of the Spirit. So really lots of people write to say it's kind of a second blessing about being filled with the Spirit after kind of being born again. It's an experience of sanctification and being made holy. I know holiness is not very popular nowadays as a topic, just saying. But actually that idea of being made more like Christ, there's something really significant. We're going to think about the book of Acts and it's about being empowered to make a difference in the world about mission and service. It's about the key to spiritual gifts and particularly maybe um, particularly prophecy as a gift that actually they experience the Spirit, but also praise, singing, and dancing. Anybody who's been to a, a Pentecostal service will know that you're in one uh, as opposed to maybe watching one. Uh, but also then maybe just within the last year, we've looked at uh, like a look of Paul's writing and saying, actually God's ongoing empowering personal presence in our Christian lives. Actually, the Spirit is the gift for all Christian life. All Christian life in totality, not just bits of it. Lots of people have written bits to try and gather together what's in Scripture and try and make sense of it in a way that helps us not get focused on one particular thing and think, well, do you know, that's it. Baptism itself emerged around the time of Jesus, just before Jesus, the period of Jesus, and sort of a little bit subsequently, as a thing where we baptize in water. It's sort of around that time that John the Baptist appears on the scene. You know, that desire in our lives to get clean. Actually, you know, we don't want to live dirty lives. And so in that period, through the series of kind of baptizing with water with John, it was a baptism of calling people to repentance, of turning away from their sin. But he also promised that another one would come who were baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire, which is obviously Jesus. Last week, we saw in John 3, Jesus calling us to be born again, to be born of water and of spirit. So actually, baptism does matter. It's not like an added extra. It's not something that's peripheral. And as we go through the book of Acts uh, next year, amongst other things we do, we'll discover that in the kind of growth of the early church. And today's reading, we're going to come back just simply to a really simple passage. We are going to get round to the Bible in a second, by the way. Um, we're going to look at very briefly this morning. Because actually, if baptism was good enough for Jesus, and you we probably ought to think about that a little bit. Maybe it's good enough for us too. 
as I mentioned briefly, churches over 2,000 years have generated all sorts of different traditions of the way they baptise, whether it's sprinkling, whether it's dunking, whether it's in the river or it's in the sea. Probably most of us have been to different baptism services. God's invitation to draw us and to know we're part of his family. If it helps you to think about this, I know this might be a little bit more difficult. So obviously, when we do baptise with water... We do that in faith as a church to say, actually, all these promises that we say as a church and you say when you're being baptised, we're saying yes and amen to. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is also what God does. And sometimes that happens all at the same moment when we're baptised in water. But sometimes our experiences, they don't all happen at the same time. The word baptism is, in its root, all about washing about cleansing, of dipping, and actually in some kind of traditions of going under, of being soaked. When we did Alpha, that kind of picture of a sponge being immersed in water. So it's not just a bit of water in it, but actually the water and the sponge in many ways are indistinguishable. It's that kind of desire in baptism for us, a picture of God's full and abundant life filling us coming into us, cleansing us, empowering us, reflecting the generous heart of God. Without the Holy Spirit, how are we to please God? How are we to be fruitful? How are we to be faithful? How are we called, as Paul writes, to be good ambassadors for Christ? So let's just take a quick moment to look at one small passage. So if you've got a Bible in front of you, I'm just going to look at a few verses in Mark 1, um, page 1002 in your green Bibles. Let's just quickly look at Jesus' baptism this morning as a way in to what we're thinking as well. So Mark 1, uh, verses 9 to 11. Mark 1, verses 9 to 11. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. This reading is really well known. It's at the beginning of Mark's gospel, Mark's account of Jesus' life. And in many ways, it's right there at the heart. Mark puts it right there at the beginning because it confirms who Jesus is. We find the Spirit of God pictured in this passage, pictured as a dove at Jesus' baptism. And there's only one other place in the whole of the Bible that there's any kind of a uh, similar type picture of the Spirit is that gentle picture we see of a dove. And that place in the Bible is actually this place in creation. The creation again, where we see the Spirit hovering over the face of the waters. Interesting, there's just one particular trans, um, tradition that actually translates the Old Testament right, uh, script there. It's a Spirit flutters over the waters like a dove. 
That's the only other place in Scripture where we see the Spirit pictures as a dove. And in creation, we see that, that the Spirit hovered or fluttered over creation like a dove. And God spoke, let there be light. In this baptism account, we have Jesus the Word being baptized with water and the Spirit fluttering over him like a dove. And the Father speaking these incredible words of affirmation. Now Mark has very deliberately put this right at the beginning of his account of Jesus' life. Because he's pointing us back to creation, to the very beginning. The origin of the triune work of God of the Trinity in creation. And what Mark is doing is saying, you know, when God was at work in creation, creating the world, so we see the same God, the God in three persons, who's at work redeeming all of creation, redeeming the whole world, bringing redemption and renewal of all things. The same God who was involved in creation is the same God who is now at work in the person of Jesus, beginning the renewal and redemption of all things. The Trinity, I know, is a little bit of a difficult concept at times to, get, to kind of get across. One God, three persons who know and love each other. But here it's one of the places in Scripture where we get that in full view. There are very few in Scripture. But here is one of them right at Jesus' baptism before his public ministry. The Father covers the Son in beautiful words of love. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Have we heard those words? of love that the Father speaks over our lives. Here, the Father is affirming Jesus' identity as Son. He's part of the family. They're in relationship, secure, secure in love. Well-pleased. Bear in mind, Jesus, in inverted commas, hasn't actually done anything in ministry yet. Literally done, in that sense, nothing. But the pleasure of the Father over the Son. And then we get the picture of the Spirit hovering over Jesus with his powerful presence. What we see here and what Mark's gone out of his way to do as well is, is to show us at the very heart of the life of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all at work together. The interior life of the Trinity, the essence, as one writer puts it, of the universe. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in mutual, self-giving relationship of love. Glorifying each other. Glorifying each other. One of the kind of pitch of the Trinity, and we see it here, and the reason many have developed a a kind of picture of the Trinity, is is that of a dance. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in eternal dance of loving and glorifying each other. 
God isn't static. God isn't passive, but dynamic and active. How can we not join in and enjoy the world that's created by a God like that? And the thing is this, is, is that when you glorify something, um, when you actually just go around and glorify it, you're finding it beautiful for itself, not for what it can give you. When you glorify something, you're glorifying for its beauty rather than because it gives you what you want. Why does this matter? Why is this so important, this particular point? Because when we're incorporated in baptism into the life of God, we're incorporated into the same life of the Trinity, that same dance. God's reality starts to become our reality. The very life of the Trinity is at work within us. And actually the challenging bit of this is this, is that one of the helpful bits, really helpful bits if you struggle with the idea of this, is that a self-centered life is a very static life. Because a self-centered life is all about trying to get everybody else to orbit around you. Meet my needs. Subtly you can be the most servant-hearted person, but still essentially be getting everybody else to orbit around you, your will, your desires, everything you want. It's not a, self, um, a self-sacrificial life. But everything in the kind of joining in and in becoming into relationship to the God of the universe, the God in three persons, means that we end up, uh, we commit to engage in his life. We're immersing ourselves into a different dance, the life of God himself. The self-giving love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why is this so important? Why does this matter? Why am I taking time on this rather than talking about all the other pictures we've got of the Holy Spirit as we finish this year? Thinking about it. Because relationships of love really matter. In fact, relationships to love are what life is about. Relationships are not a side issue. We see right at the heart of this critical moment in Jesus' life and Jesus' ministry how much relationships matter to God. So this morning, if you long to be united to God, you long to know something of the life of the eternal God in your life and the dance of his love and his power, that's what it means to commit to him, to center your life around him and his life and his love that we get drawn into in our life, the life of discipleship, the abundant life of the Spirit, is what we're called to. Do we want to join in his life this morning? I'd suggest to you this morning that you and I do need it. It's actually what we were created for, to be united to God uh, this morning. So as we conclude this morning, I just we're going to spend next year uh, doing a mixture of things, but we will get back to the, going through the book of Acts and going through it systematically, so we look at Scripture as a whole rather than take bits and pieces. We'll also do a few other things as well. And so it's not, in a sense, the end as part of coming to, to, to this time of Advent. But in Jesus' baptism, we see what at the heart of the baptism is an invitation to enjoy and join in his life and the life of God himself. To receive his abundant life. 
the light, the life that's at the very heart of the Trinity since the creation of the world. That's what the invitation is to be about. So this morning, do we, do we know that? Have you seen? Have you heard? Have you tasted? Have you touched the life of God? Let me pray. Just going to take a moment of uh, quiet, complete quiet for a minute. Two couple of things. We always offer an opportunity to pray at the end of a service. So actually, if there's something this morning that you've come from, it might be a need, you might be really struggling, your sense actually that God is doing something in your life, then do, you know, at the end of the service, do come to my right by the Christmas tree, your left, and we'd love to pray for you. But actually, what I'd, I'd like to invite you all to do, if possible, is to close your eyes and to put your hands out in front of you. Uh, maybe on your lap, just put your hands on your lap. And actually this morning, just, I'm just going to pray for a minute, but I'm actually then going to encourage you to get into conversation with God. What are you asking God at the minute? What are you struggling with? What do you need help with? What are you longing for? Holy Spirit, thank you. Come, Holy Spirit, fresh, I pray, amongst us. Fall into flame the gift that is already planted within our lives. Father, come afresh and water um, the seed of faith that already dwells within us. And I pray afresh that you'd come Revealing your love and your power again to us this morning. Father, we need you. Father, I pray too that you would draw near to those who are feeling far off from you this morning. minister your grace afresh to their hearts. Let them, um, and so just in a little bit more quiet, just come again and I just ask God, continue a conversation with God about what it is that you long for or need. And maybe God will begin to speak to you about some of the things he longs for you this morning. Actually, his agenda for you is very different to yours. just reminded too of as you prepare as we all prepare for Christmas those words that the father speaks of the, over the son we can get so busy 
doing stuff. But we almost forget who we are. And this morning that maybe there's a few people particularly who need to hear the words that the father speaks over his son. You are my child whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So Father, I pray this morning that for any of us who are sat here this morning just not knowing that we are loved by you, always feeling unworthy of your love. Father, break the power of unworthiness and the kind of sense of shame and guilt that sometimes sits over life. Thank you for your cross. Thank you through the cross and resurrection of Jesus that we can come forgiven, cleansed, free. Set us free this morning to hear your voice above the power of so many other voices in our world at the minute. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, I'm going to encourage you to stand if that's all right. Dan's going to lead us in response, uh, in worship. And then maybe just simply all the stillness is just a bit too much for you in your minds wondering. Actually, just, you just need to give voice to the praise that's in your heart this morning. To thank God for who he is and all he's done. His saving grace in your life and the fact that you can stand as a child of God and simply worship.